Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Juliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. This week we are continuing our experiential case study on managing in constant change. We're going to look at what happens now We are from part one. If you haven't heard it already, part one, we brought you to the point where the team are understanding that there is going to be a change in the organisation and they don't know what that is, they don't really know how long it's going to take, how it will affect them, but their team leader, their manager, has given them the options of how they will work and that they are all to be focused for all sorts of reasons. So the link to the part one is at the bottom of this page. I won't tell you any more than that because I think it's probably important for you to get that background before we go on to talking about part two. Okay, so really the change that we've been referring to ended up being announced and the reason it was kept quiet because it was commercial in confidence and it involved an acquisition of a similar company that complements this company that this group is working in. So that's good news because it means growth and but it's also maybe make some people wary about what was going to happen to me. So let's stick with the team leader who we've been referring to as a good leader in those sort of situations. She was pulled aside. She was told that this is happening and there was her counterpart doing a similar role in the other organisation and, and her it's between them who will get the, the job going forward but the, the two areas will be merged. They said that it's her they wanted to pick for the job. They looked at, on merit, they looked at both the candidates and um, decided she'll be the one. She said, oh, well, that's wonderful, but I want to know why. Why me and why not the other person? Um, on what basis did you make it? And you looked at both performance. And they said that you're both equally very, very good and certainly have impressive performance records, yet you the more strategic in the thinking you're more strategic in your thinking and she said okay and what's going to happen to the other person and so we're going to try and find them a, a job but more than likely they will be offered redundancy and they will be looked after in that vein she said oh before I accept the role can I please have time to think about it they were a bit surprised by that <laughs> and said oh I thought you'll be over the moon says oh I just want to think about it and I'll come back to you tomorrow. Anyway, the next day she thought about it, she came back, she's been up working really, really hard and she said to them, you asked me, you said that you picked me because I'm strategic, it's thinking strategically, I really think it's short-sighted to be saying we only want one of you. The reason for that is we did not amalgamate two organisations and spend money buying it to stay still. We obviously bought it to grow and I put some guesstimates together based on the little I know at the moment on the, the bit of homework I was able to do um, in this very short period of time and I think conservatively we have an opportunity to, to grow ex, you know, extremely significantly. We cannot do it without a key member of that team. So I believe that we need the two of us I believe by the money you spend on this person's wages and going forward, it will pay a hundred times more uh, if we the estimated growth. 
She said, I don't want your answer now. I've done it on in a quick thinking. You guys got all the, the numbers. I'm going to give them to you. I'll keep quiet about the offer. Don't tell the other person anything till you really looked at and crunch the numbers and uh, take my numbers and my strategy and see if it's right. And then they said, okay, we could do that. And then she said, oh, now, on the opportunity lost. Even with your numbers, I'm very, very confident the numbers are going to play out. But think about this. What you're doing, you're having a person that's going to help you grow, that you'll be wishing to look for someone like that in six months or 12 months' time. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you're giving this person to your competitor with all this knowledge and experience. So then I need you to factor that into your thinking. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And um, so you just reconfirmed that, well, you're the best person for the job because you are strategic. And she said, well, I'm not finished, actually. And I said, she said, I put myself in her situation and I'll be thinking, you're going to offer me a job that you just said to me, I'm in charge. So she's going to be somehow, somewhere in there, not in charge of her own team anymore. Why would I stay if that was the case? That's one thing. And why wouldn't I take the redundancy, which is significancy, and I've been around a long time, and get a job that is king of the castle? So you need to think from her point of view. And if you look at the last page, you will see that you need two equal partners. And this is how I will split the responsibilities. So left it with them. And they were they would just, you know, mouth open to the floor. And she said, you can have the same time as I had. You let me know tomorrow. <laughs> and they said, oh, apart from your strategic, we like your directness and cheeky manner. So off she went. They came back. And guess what? Yes, they agreed. And yes, she everything she suggested happened. That was about 12 months ago now. And definitely the significant growth she talked about is happening. And everybody is very excited. One of the things that we hear out of that is a topic that we touched on briefly in one of the other podcasts, and it's about this idea of doing more with less. So the the, the decision to go forward with the acquisition was to do more with more, obviously, and then suddenly in terms of translating that big decision into the lots of little decisions that, that form part of the big umbrella, it was, all right, we've got this department we will make them do more with less. Why? And what's happened is that the person that they've approached has said that that's not the way you should be thinking because there's no way that you can do more with less. What you have to be doing is more with what you've got. And that is where the solution came from. It's an interesting move on the, the theoretical things that we talked about in that framework to actually looking at a case study and seeing how it's come to fruition. To be able to think that way, if you look back at the first part of the case study, the approach that this person took with her own team of saying, yes, there's all these reasons why we would work hard until we know what the announcement is that's going to be made, and she discounted all of the things that you get paid for anyway, already with her team, she was showing them to think strategically, to think beyond the, for the confines of, of where they're working. And so that's, that's showing them by leading them, by example, um, how you do that and that it doesn't matter at what level you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So she was convinced that her thinking in this situation 
was important and relevant enough to the organisation to be able to present it. She made herself vulnerable by throwing it out there, by throwing out the ideas and by saying, I'm not going to make a decision until you've made this decision. But the risk-reward ratio, she'd obviously thought about as well. And so she'd looked at all of the, the options that she had. And again, it's about thinking really broadly and making yourself a bit vulnerable to take those risks to get the reward, to see what comes back. Because if you don't, if you're not confident about doing that, you will never know. And you'll always be thinking, oh, what if I'd said this and I should have said that. So, so the, you're left with the situation of, all right, she took the, that and she's let the other person go without saying anything. She's got a team that worked with somebody else for a long time and they all feel like their leader's been cut from them. And so there's a level, no matter how professional they are, there's a level of resentment that says, why are you better than the person that we've worked with for X number of years? And I'm not going to give my all because I don't know you, I don't trust you, and I don't know if I like you yet. So why would I be giving everything? I will just do my job. So there's a catch-up and there's a, there is a cost to that. There's a cost in time, there's a cost in money, there's a cost in, in efficiency and output that has to be dealt with. So, so it's a marking of time in the transition. Now I've had that situation couple of times in my own career um, when I was a training manager and and decision was made outside of the environment that we were amalgamating with another Commonwealth department in the public sector and they had their own training section they had their own equivalent levels of all of, of me and all of my staff and not only were we as a department brought together but the two training departments were brought together in the one room in a new location so we all had to move we all had a purpose-built training area that that we used together but the decision was that we would run in parallel because we we ran very different courses you know the, the two departments that were brought together were very different it was just the way government made its decisions in the day, in the day and that was an interesting exercise. I look back on it now and I think, well, we ran ourselves as two separate business entities. We did come together. We, did, we didn't do any joint training, though, and I wonder why that was. And I think probably when I look at it from a distance, it was that we wanted to protect our own areas because we were in an environment where we didn't know when that would change again because in my 10 years with this particular department, the name changed four times and four completely different organisations were were joined to our organisation in that time, just on the whim of the, the government at the time. So a case study to look at it and think about how would I manage in that situation. I admire someone who can think that broadly about how that should be done. The other example that I have in my own experience is when I was consulting to a, a family-owned business that amalgamated into a bigger business in the same industry, two separate locations and they also amalgamated and moved into one location and because of the geographical move some of the people from the family organisation didn't come across made the choice to, to not make the move. When we went out to look at the new location, the new premises, I left them to their own devices. I said you all get to know one another, you don't need me here to introduce you, you're all adults, you, you do it, you work out where you're going to sit, talk about what you do. And they organised it amongst themselves, which was me knowing that they would be able to do it because I'd observed them and worked with them for a little bit of time. 
then that was the, the actual people at the desks doing the, the hack work, the team, if you want to call it that. The next level up, the middle managers, as they were in those days, just couldn't do it. We sat them around a table. We said, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Talk to one another. They just didn't feel, I think, that it was a safe environment. And they didn't know where they stood. They didn't know. They, I don't think that they could justify their jobs. They knew there was too many jobs at yeah. the same level doing the same thing. There wasn't enough difference in what they were doing. But they weren't confident enough to be able to say it. So as managers... Perhaps it's our responsibility in this environment when we're a level above this activity is to start thinking about how can we make it an environment where someone, a manager, a team leader like that can come to us and yeah. say these things and we'll hear them. Yeah. It won't just be yeah. words going past. Yeah. And it's the, back to that long-term thinking and looking in the future and instead of being worried about your backyard right now or your personal mm-hmm. position. Yeah. It's finite and infinite thinking. Once again, we'll go back to Simon Sonic, and you can look up on YouTube and have a look at where he talks about being a finite thinker or an infinite thinker. It's about the finite thinking in short terms is about <laughs> it's having goals that you work towards. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but this is the bad. This yeah. is the bad side of it. Is that you? You work, work, work towards the goal. You hit the goal, you drop back down because you've hit it and oh, you don't no. have to think it. Yeah. And so there's not a, a, a continuous growth pattern. Whereas if you're infinite thinking, you're working, working, working towards that target and you don't make it, but you know you're going to make it the next week. And it's not, no, it's not financially, it, it, it's not things that are, the business is dependent on. It, it's, mm. it's a growth thing. And so you think beyond the immediate purpose and think a bit more broadly I think a bit more long term think a bit more strategically yeah I think we've probably covered that case study in as much detail as we want to again we remind you that if you've got case studies if you've got issues that you would like us to talk through or give you our views on how we would handle it or how we've handled it in the past just drop us a line let us know but for now I'm Kim Bailey she's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Mm-hmm.